Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. It's hard to attract good talent. It's hard to retain good talent. And so when you have good people, you just like, you want to create the type of environment where they don't want to leave. They don't want to go anywhere. And so that means we, you know, we're really intentional on giving people a lot of freedom, flexibility, autonomy. We don't babysit. We don't micromanage people. We're a virtual company. And so we don't really care where you work or when you work as long as you're getting your, your stuff done. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Welcome to the Nice Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from futureforth.com, where we help fast-growing technology companies retain talent and improve culture so you have happier, more connected teams. Today, I'm speaking with the one and only Grant Baldwin, who is the founder and CEO of The Speaker Lab, and he's the author of the best-selling awesome book, The Successful Speaker. Grant, welcome to the podcast. Dave, thanks for letting me hang out with you, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. So I always like to start these things with the question, what is the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Oh, good question. Nicest thing. Uh, all right. So about two weeks ago was my birthday. Um, and, uh, my wife did a really good surprise. I was really uh, caught me off guard, um, in a positive way. So she, um, we, uh, like a night or two after my birthday, she said, Hey, you and I are going to dinner and, and, uh, we uh we're gonna go to this nice steakhouse and so i was like awesome that's great love a good date with the missus and so we head to the steakhouse and we are literally walking in the door of this restaurant and she turns to me and she's like oh by the way all of our good friends are here and you're like what and ah. walk in and there's uh several other couples that we're really good friends with they're uh, all there and i was like holy crap i did not see that coming at all so totally blindsided uh i was just yeah super friendly super nice a uh, really fun night and so yeah for the next several days I, I kept telling her i was like i can't believe you pulled that off that was that was so cool so that was really nice that's awesome uh, nothing like a surprise party i did uh yeah i did one for my wife when she turned uh 39 and it was really funny because everybody kept saying you know she's not 40 yet like they, yep, they kept yep. thinking like it was the, the her 40th was this a, a big year for you or or just uh, just 
No, nah, and it wasn't even like a, a huge surprise party or anything. It was just three other couples. So yeah, uh, yeah. just just dinner with eight of us there. But um, yeah, so I, I turned 41. So yeah, it was kind of the uh, one year after the big one. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, you know, in fact, as a quick side note on just the nice topic and the birthday topic, something yeah. she did last year for my 40th, which was really cool, is she um, she went to, it's probably 50 people or so that was a mix of like family members and friends, like old, old friends. Um, uh, people that, that work with me and just had them like share a paragraph or two about, you know, about me or life or whatever. And mm. she compiled it into a book basically. And so gave me the book. And once I, I realized what it was, I was like, Oh, sheesh, this is going to get me. And, um, boy, it was really, really cool. Just again, incredibly, incredibly like nice and humbling and, uh, really, really kind. So yeah, that was, uh, that was last year's gift. That was, that was pretty cool too. That's a really cool gift idea. I love that. So did she like, so she, she kind of quoted people. Is that right? With photos, I imagine, or something like that. No, or, it actually wasn't. Any, was it wasn't any photos. It was all text. Um, ah, and so, uh, yeah, it was just kind of cheap. I, I guess email to reach out to a bunch of different people. And I mean, several people like that had, have had a huge impact on my life, but maybe haven't talked to in, you know, a year or two or something. And so, um, yeah, just reading through what everybody wrote. Uh, she wrote stuff. The girls wrote, my daughters wrote stuff, you know, my parents mm. wrote stuff. So just to see all of that, you're just like, whoa, like that was like just really, really cool. Yeah. It sounds like kind of the perfect thing to pick up on a day when things aren't going quite as smoothly sure. as you wish. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was really, really cool. I'm looking at it now in my office here, uh, yeah. which it's, it's been a minute since I flipped open, but, uh, yeah, if I need a good smile, that that's a good place to go. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And that's, that's a really cool idea. And, uh, and, uh, steak dinner with, uh, friends, of course, is a, is a great way to, to celebrate too. Indeed. So tell, yeah, tell me a little bit. So for listeners not familiar with the, uh, with the speaker lab, give us, give us a little rundown of what that is. And then, uh, yeah, we'll dig in a little. Yeah. So I've been in the the speaking industry for about 17, 18 years now. And I was a full-time speaker for many, many years and um, really enjoyed it. And I had a lot of people who were asking me like, Hey, I want to be a speaker. How would I go about doing that? And they had a lot of the same questions that I did when I got started. Like when I got started, I was wondering like, how do you find gigs and who hires speakers and how much do you charge? And what do you speak about? And like, how does this world work? And so uh, learned a couple of things. And, and then once I, I, I got kind of going and, and over the next several years built up a good business. I was doing about 60, 70 speaking gigs a year. Um, and then had people asking me, then I started doing some coaching training around that. And that really evolved into what we do today. So, uh, the speaker lab is basically a coaching and training company, teaching people the business of speaking. How do you actually find and book gigs? And so there's a lot of people who are interested in speaking and maybe have done some, uh, some free gigs here or there, or maybe have been paid a time or two and would love to do more of it, but just don't know, like, how do you find gigs and how much do you charge and how does, how do you get started? and has this mysterious black box of an industry work. And so, yeah, that's the core of what we do today and work with speakers at all different uh, ages and stages of, of life and their career and their, their speaking journey. Yeah, that's interesting. And the black box is, is definitely a murky one for sure, because, yeah, I mean, even me having been a speaker for well over a decade or more of probably definitely more, uh, <laughs> I've lost track. Uh, it can be, it can be daunting and confusing and, uh, as lulls hit as they do, uh, you know, sometimes, yeah. So it, it can be, it can be overwhelming. Um, who are your typical customers? Like, uh, is it, is it people that, that have, as you mentioned, have had a taste for it, maybe been paid and, and want to go like full-time as speakers, or is it more, you know, uh, folks who, who just want to improve their, their talents at speaking? 
Yeah, good question. Um, but the, we tend to focus more on the the business of speaking uh, and how do you actually find a book gig. So we do some on the you know the the art, the the stagecraft, the presence of, of speaking. How do you because if we teach you how to find a book gigs, but uh, you get up on stage and you suck at delivering an actual talk and presentation, it's you know right. it's hard to build a business that way. So your <laughs> yeah, best sure. marketing asset is uh, is a great presentation, it's a great talk, and so um, yeah, that is definitely part of it. But uh, I'd say we probably tend to, to focus more on the the business side. Um, but for you know speaking is one of those just aspirational things. There's a lot of people who are interested in speaking and some want to do it full time and want to do 50, 60, 100 gigs a year. And some uh, that will be like, yeah, I don't, you know, I've got other things going, but I would love mm-hmm. to do, you know, five gigs, 10 gigs, 20 gigs. But I, I just don't know. Again, how do you find those and what do you speak about and how do you do that on a consistent basis? And so what we, we tend to see happen as people who are interested in speaking, who've done, who've maybe had a little bit of speaking experience, who've been uh, booked a time or two, it's just kind of like word of mouth things. It's things that have kind of fallen in their lap. It's it's referral stuff. And that, that's great when that happens, but you it, you can't build a business that way. You can't just sit back and wait for the phone to ring or wait for people mm-hmm. to magically find you. And so uh, for... For a lot of people, the challenge is just like, okay, well, how do I then proactively, you know, know how to find a book gig? So what do I need to be doing on a on a consistent basis, uh, rather than just hoping, you know, the phone rings at, at some point or an email inquiry comes in? And so that's the core of what we teach. And so we work with um, we've worked with speakers in uh, every U.S. state and forty nine different countries around the world. Uh, again, all different ages, stages of life. Um, and you know, the interesting thing with speaking is, is, uh, everybody's ambitions or goals for speaking are going to be vastly different. You know, there's some people that come from, you know, some type of very successful corporate career and they want to speak on that or share. Some people have had like some type of crazy overcoming obstacles, you know, life altering story that they want to share. Um, some people, you know, come from some type of niche profession and they want to do more to kind of spread the, the work that they do. Uh, speaking can also, as you well know, Dave, like speaking can be good for, uh, building credibility and recognition, um, mm. uh, prestige expertise within an industry or space it can be good for selling products or services, depending on, you know, the nature of your business, what it is that you do it can be good for travel and just kind of experiences meeting other people. So, um, yeah, there's just a lot of ways that speaking can be used for someone, depending on what it is that they're, they're wanting to accomplish. And I suppose that really starts with, uh, determining, I, I, you know, what the, what the problem is you're solving. I know you, you wrote in your book, uh, your job is to solve someone's problem, not deliver a speech. Tell me about that. Yeah. I think this is one of the biggest challenges for most speakers is, is a lot of speakers say, Hey, you know, I've, I've overcome some crazy story and, or overcome some crazy obstacle. And I want to share that story with the audience. It's like, that's great. You know, but at the end of the day, as speakers, we are, we are problem solvers, we are solution providers. And so what is the actual problem that you're solving for an audience? And so, uh, I think most speakers have a, have a difficult time with this because part of the challenge is we, we just enjoy speaking. They like you and I enjoy speaking. It's a lot of fun. And so, we are we would look for any opportunity or at bat we possibly could and so you know what what do we speak about i don't know what do you want us to speak about we can speak about anything and who do we speak to uh people humans everybody you know and and yeah. it's counterintuitive because we think that we we need to spread the net as far and wide as possible the more types of people i can talk to the more audiences i can talk to the more topics i can cover the more opportunities i will get but that's ultimately at the end of the day like not what people are looking for people are looking for a specialist not a generalist and so an analogy I like to use is you want to be the steakhouse and not the buffet, the steakhouse, and not the buffet. Meaning Dave, if you and I are going out for a steak and we're looking for a good steak where we have a choice, we could go to a buffet where steak is one of a hundred things that they offer and they're all mediocre. 
Or you could go to a steakhouse where they do one thing, but they do that one thing really, really, really well. So they mm. don't do pasta and they don't do uh, tacos and they don't do cupcakes. They they do steak and that's it. And so the you know a, a steakhouse may be like, but but what about a uh, you know vegetarians? We got to appeal to vegetarians. It's like, well, you know, we're a steakhouse. Like, be a steakhouse. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and so again, it's counterintuitive. But the more specific, the more narrow, the more focused you are in solving one specific problem for one specific audience, the easier it becomes to actually find and book paid speaking gigs. And you talk about in the book about choosing an industry and then identifying an interest and then speaking with integrity as these three key things. I won't give away your whole book, I promise. No, that's uh, but, fine. But some of my favorite favorite uh, points from the book I kind of uh, noted here. So t- like as far as choosing that industry... What are, you know, for people that are just getting started speaking, what are some good, you know, practices for this? Yeah. What you kind of described there is kind of three, you know, interlinking circles are kind of a Venn diagram. And so Mm -hmm. there's industry, interest, and integrity. And so uh, industry, there's a lot of different kind of like um, industries within the speaking space that hire speakers. And so there's seven that we kind of categorize in the book. And so there's um, corporate corporations, associations, uh, government and military, faith-based um, uh, what am I missing there? Uh, nonprofits. Col- yeah. Nonprofits. That's the one, um, colleges and universities and then education, which is like K through 12, um, right. elementary, middle school, high school. And so even within those, there's a lot of different kinds of subcategories that may be looking for and hiring speakers. But, uh, when we go back to kind of that first part of the equation of, you know, who do you speak to? What problem you solve? Kind of the, a third question to consider is like, uh, where do those people gather? Like, what are the, you know, so if someone, I was talking with someone the other day and they said, well, I want to speak to, you know, uh, um, uh, I think it was like, I, I wanted to speak to moms who are trying to, um, you know, navigate being a mom and also, uh, pursue a career, you know, something like that. And, and mm. it's like, that, that's great. Uh, you know, that's, that's an awesome ambition and awesome message, but like, where do those people gather? Like, what are the natural gatherings that you could potentially speak to those people? And so when we talk about industry, those are again, kind of the seven primary industries. And within those lot of different, you know, subsets and subcategories there of people uh, who may be looking for and hiring speakers. So that's industry. The other parts that you've got um, is then interest. And so interest is kind of a two-way street, meaning interest uh, is, is a topic that you're interested in, that you're passionate about, that you know something on, that you're knowledgeable on. But then on the other direction is it has to be something that organizations, groups, audiences are actually hiring speakers to talk about. Because just because it's something that you're passionate about and knowledgeable on doesn't mean anybody else cares. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's something that organizations and groups actually hire speakers to talk about. So let me give you a quick example on that. Mm-hmm. Um, early on in my speaking career, I did a lot in the education space. And so I did a lot of speaking at high schools, colleges, student leadership conferences. And so I remember um, for myself, my wife and I, we uh, hadn't been married that long and we had found that uh, we were, we were like we really got disciplined on our finances, just personal finance, living on a budget, living on this that we made, like just doing smart, basic, common sense things with our money. And so we started doing these things. I was like, dang, like if if the these teenage audiences that I speak to, if they could learn this stuff, like that'd really make a big impact in their lives. And so, uh, so I started going to like some of these high school principals that I'd worked with before. And I mean, if you were to interview high school principals, like one hundred out of one hundred of them would tell you that 
that teaching students about personal finance was really, really important. But what I found was it wasn't necessarily the thing that they hired outside speakers to come in and talk about, whether that be in a workshop or a school assembly or in some type of you know training in any way. Uh, and so, what, but what they did hire speakers to talk about was things like leadership and motivation. And uh, one topic was helping students make a smooth transition from high school into college in the real world. And so just because it was something that that I was passionate about. And just because it was something that they were interested in doesn't necessarily mean that they hired speakers to talk about that. So again, that's where when we talk about interest being a two-way street, not only is it something I got to be interested in and passionate about knowledge belong, you know, for, from a speaking perspective, but it also has to be something that an organization group, they are, they are used to hiring speakers to come in and talk about that. So that's mm-hmm. the interest part. And then the last part is the integrity, meaning like just because you're, you're, you know, you're interested or passionate about a topic doesn't necessarily mean that you're qualified to talk about this. Now, this also kind of creates this this uh, this uh, expertise myth where a lot of people feel like, well, I'm you know I'm not an expert. Like, who am I? Like, what do I have to talk about? And so, oftentimes, what we're doing is we're always looking to someone who knows more about the topic than I do. So, an example I like to use is I I know nothing about cars. I am completely clueless with cars. And so, mm. when I take my car to the local mechanic to have the oil changed, to me, that person. Uh, whoever's working on my car, that mechanic, to me, they are an expert. Now, does that mean that they know more about cars than anybody else on the planet? Absolutely not. But I'm not looking for the smartest person on the planet related to cars. I'm looking for this one person who knows more about cars than I do and can help me with this one specific problem. And the same thing is true with anything. Like You may not necessarily see yourself as expertise, but expertise is not oftentimes in the eye of the beholder. It's the audience who says, hey, you you know more about this than I do, uh, and therefore we want to learn about it from you. So like the stuff that we're talking about now, I know plenty of people that know a lot about the speaking industry, but uh, I also know people that are saying, hey, we're not going to those people. Grant, we're coming to you. Can you teach us something? Can we work with you on you know better understanding the speaking industry? And so, um, yeah, so integrity, just like, are, are you qualified to talk about the topic? So yeah, those that kind of Venn diagram there between industry, you know, who you'd speak to, the interest mm-hmm. and what you'd actually be speaking about, what the problem is that you're solving, and then the integrity piece, are you actually qualified to talk about that topic? So tell me like a little bit about your backstory here, because you know, you, you mentioned there about uh, kind of starting with with a personal finance kind of aspect. Is that what you did professionally, or is that, or just just a passion? kind of area of interest. Yeah. Personal finance was purely passion. Um, so if we go way back in time in high school, I was really involved in my local church and my youth pastor had a big impact in my life. And and I was like, I want to do that. Like that seems like a cool right. gig. And I just kind of felt like, you know, if I, if I could make the kind of impact and difference in others' lives that he had made in my life, like that just seemed like a life worth living. That seemed super fulfilling and, and rewarding, especially in terms of a career. Mm. And so that's kind of the path I was on. I went to Bible college. Um, I worked at a different local church for a while as a youth pastor. And as a youth pastor, it gave me a lot of opportunities to speak. And speaking is one of those things I, I felt like I was decent at and I wanted to do more of. Um, but again, I just, I just didn't know how that world worked. And so um, when, uh, so at the time, this was 18, 17, 18, 19 years ago, I started just emailing other speakers and just kind of like Googling, finding speakers, emailing them, harassing them, stalking them, kind of pick your brain type stuff and mm-hmm. learned a couple of things and started booking some gigs out of that. And that's really kind of how I got going. And so, you know, speaking to students and speaking in the education space, largely came out of you know being a youth pastor like I, I really enjoyed working with students and I enjoyed speaking to students and um, you know it kind of evolved where over time I started speaking to um, uh, more adult audiences and corporate audiences and association audiences that sort of thing but um, it wasn't from out of the gate you know like when we talk about that um, you know steakhouse buffet for the 
first several years, it was a lot just in the education space of I'm not trying to do you know anything else. I'm just trying to focus on this particular audience. And over time, it kind of evolved. But um, so it's important to, to when you're thinking through you know who you speak to, what you speak about that steakhouse mentality is realize like it can change over time. It can evolve. Like you're not making a permanent life decision here, but you're picking a starting point. And so for me, that starting point was uh, was speaking in the education space. Yeah, that's interesting because you kind of went from like, yeah, education, you know, and then to college and universities and then faith-based and then uh, associations and corporations, I guess, probably that order. Yeah. I, and I, I, uh, I came out mm. of, um, you know, being on staff at a church, but I didn't, I, I did some speaking in the, in the faith-based world, but not a, not a ton. Um, but yeah, mm. I'd say the the majority of the speaking I was doing was in the education space. And then it kind of evolved to more association corporate work. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. And, uh, so not so much on the nonprofits or government and military. No, not a ton. Uh, like there were some here and there that I did, but you know, some one-off stuff, but not, you know, not as like a a core ongoing thing. And I think that's going to be the case with, you know, um, uh, a lot of speakers, especially the speakers build and grow their business over time is you may have some Mm -hmm. one-off stuff here and there that you, you may do something. Um, and sometimes like there's, there's going to be some overlap. So I remember, um, like you mentioned government military, I remember speaking at a, uh, an event that was, um, put on by the military, but it was for students. And it was basically for, uh, youth whose parents were deployed. And mm. so it was an event here stateside within the U S but it was for parents who were deployed. And so, you know, I'll go speak to those students. So it was like, you're speaking to students, you know, uh, and more of a, a youth based audience, but it's put on by the, you know, the, the government and slash military. So there's always going to, you know, at times there's going to be some overlap and, and, um, you know, a couple of different types of industries that may be involved. So tell me a little bit about the Speaker Lab as a business. So you've been doing, when did you start the Speaker Lab? Uh, I think 2015. Yeah, it's about seven, eight years now, something like that. And how many people do you have working with you? Uh, We have about 30, somewhere in the low 30s um, in terms of of, of full-time employees. Oh, wow. Okay, great. And so are they... Tell me a little bit about how you've handled uh, like employee retention. Are they all like in in house? Because a, a lot of the folks that listen to this show, listen, you know, we're, we talk a lot about leadership and and leading businesses, and 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 employee retention is obviously a big a big thing and a costly thing um, yep. when when that doesn't work. So tell me a little bit about that. How that's yeah. been going? My dad works in B two B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be. 
to be. Yeah. uh, In fact, I love this topic. Um, Mm. And it's something that we're really, really intentional on uh, within the Speaker Lab and really intentional about our culture. And um, it's something that is not just kind of like this random byproduct, but something like from day one, we've been really, really focused on. And so one thing I tell the team regularly is I want this to be the best place that you ever work. And, uh, I, I always say like, I, um, uh, I want it, I want to make it really difficult for you to leave now, not in a manipulative mean way, but meaning that, <laughs> uh, that if you're working here and you love it, then I never want you to feel like the grass is greener somewhere else. Or, you know, like how often are people working in a job, but like, they're already thinking about their next job, you know, and they're still looking at, you know, uh, ads or reaching out to headhunters or whatever it may be just to figure out what the next thing is. And so I remember, um, uh, you know, a couple of like little anecdotal things of, I remember a, um, a guy who's been with us for like three years and he's like, this is the longest I've gone without looking for or thinking about another job, you know, and like, mm. awesome. That's great. You know, or, um, I had a guy who's, uh, who's been with us for about three years or so. And after the first year or so, I remember him telling me, he said, Hey, my wife said, I'm never allowed to leave because, yeah. uh, being here has made me a better husband, a better dad. Uh, my stress level is much lower. I'm making more. I'm enjoying life more. Uh, and I was like, awesome. Like, I love that him being a part of the speaker lab has, has, uh, had an impact on his marriage and on his family to the point where his wife's like, yeah, you're not allowed to ever do anything else. Um, yeah. we had just hired a, a guy, um, uh, recently. And I actually did a call yesterday with he and his wife. I just wanted to meet his wife. We're, we're a totally virtual company. And so, um, so I wanted to, to meet his wife and he said, he said, you know, we were talking the other night. He was super excited about this new role. And um, he's actually kind of a promotion. He's worked with us for about a year. And this is a promotion to a key role within the company. And and uh, um, he said, we were talking the other night. And he's like, this may be the last job that I ever have and the last company I ever work for. And so the point being like, uh, Dave, as you all know, like it's, it's hard to attract good talent. It's hard to retain good talent. And so when you have good people, you just like, you want to create the type of environment where they don't want to leave. They don't want to go anywhere. And so that means we, you know, we, we're really intentional on giving people a lot of freedom, flexibility, autonomy. We don't babysit. We don't micromanage people. We're a virtual company. And so we don't really care where you work or when you work as long as you're getting your, your stuff done. Um, and so giving people the autonomy, giving people that freedom to make some of those decisions. Also, um, I think a, a big, big thing that has made a big difference is um, every... Um, this is something that like any company would say. Um, they'd say like, we care for people. like We love our people. And like, yeah, that I'm sure all companies you know, say that to some degree. But I, I think if you would ask anybody within the company to give you an honest, uh, even anonymous answer, they would say, I genuinely feel like the people in this within this company care about me. Like they actually mm-hmm. give a crap about me and my life and who I am as a person. Um, and so one thing that that has always kind of been a, a core philosophy for me personally that I think we've, we've tried to really make sure it permeates within the business <clears throat> is that who you are is more important than what you do. Who you are is more important than what you do. Meaning, Dave, if you and I are good podcasters, speakers, entrepreneurs, business owners, fill in the blank, whatever, um, but we drop the ball as husbands, as dads, uh, as men, if we are a shell of a human being, like we're doing something wrong. And so there's just too many companies that, like, you know, we're, we're just trying to get warm bodies into a seat to fill a role and we're just going to use you and abuse you until you can take no more. And then there's going to be burnout and turnover. And then we're going to be back to the drawing board of finding someone else that we can, some new cog that we can throw in our system and, you know, churn you out in a couple of years too. And it's just like, that's just a horrible way to, 
treat people. And, and, uh, so we just try to have a, a long-term perspective that, um, we got to just treat people really, really well. That's why, you know, like I said, I, I did a, a call with, um, you know, this guy and his wife, like she's not working for us. There's no need for me to actually talk to his wife other than like, uh, just saying, Hey, I'm, su- I want you to know, I'm super excited to be working with your husband and I'm yeah. really looking forward to this. And I want you to know that his teammates are really excited about him. And I just, uh, I want you to know just the, the culture and the work-life balance that we have here. And so if he's working late, like night after night after night, like he shouldn't be doing that. Like I want him having dinner with you and your, your kids every night. And, uh, and like just communicating, like so that she hears directly from me on this. Um, and so like that type of stuff, I think, um, you know, we're not perfect at by any means, but like just having an intentionality about, about caring for people. And, um, you talked about retention. Um, we've gone, I think it's 17 months now and we haven't had a single person leave. Mm, so like, great. just I, I, again, going like, I, I don't want people to feel like, yeah, I'm always looking for the next opportunity. Um, and so we just, we don't have turnover. Like people don't leave, um, which is great. Cause again, it's a pain in the butt to find good people and to yeah. get them up to speed and to get them, you know, integrated with everybody else. And so, um, it's just, a, it's a heck of a lot easier to like, if you got a good team, like create the type of environment where they want to be there. And how do you do that virtually speaking? What are some ways that you've been doing that? Like as far as, I guess, as far as onboarding, but then also, you know, building relationships with folks, because, you know, the onboarding component obviously is very important because I think it's 32%, only 32% of those hired last within the first or feel a sense of belonging to an organization within the first 12 months, Yeah, uh, which accounts for a big reason why people leave. Yeah. I think there's several things that we do both in the onboarding and then an ongoing. And so one thing we do in the onboarding is when someone joins the team, uh, they actually do an orientation with me. Um, and within that orientation, we do a couple of things. One is we walk through, um, our, our mission, our core values, our, um, uh, vivid vision, um, and just kind of like walking through like, Hey, here's, you know, here's kind of the soul of the company. And, you know, when we talk about like core values, for example, we have three core values, they're people, ownership, and growth, people, ownership, and growth. And those are, again, they're not just like cliche corporate buzzwords, but if you were to ask anybody within the company, Hey, what are your core values? Like they would all know them. Um, and they could tell you what they mean. And like, we, we talk a lot about them. We reference them. We make decisions based on those things. And so we talk about like people, like we value people, we care about people. So we make decisions around that. Uh, and so, so, so we talk about those things within that orientation. And then we also, I talk about just my own journey of becoming a speaker. Like, Hey, I had this dream of being a speaker and like, it's one thing for us to kind of talk about a podcast. It's really, it's a different thing to like really dig into, um, you know, here's my very first gig and here's the struggle that I had trying to get going because so much of what we do as a speaker lab is helping speakers who are where I was when I got started feeling like, I think I can do this. If someone would just tell me how to do this and what to do. And so I want them to understand kind of my backstory of how I got into the speaking industry. And then we go through in depth the uh, the history of the speaker lab and how did this come to be? You know, today we've got you know again thirty something people, but like it wasn't always like that for sure. You start with none people, and so how did we get to this point? How did the company evolve and change over time? And so we spend time just going over the history of like here's how we got to this point, and here's how you fit into that. So that's one thing. Uh, another thing that we do is um, we uh, we've used a couple different tools on this before, but. Um, uh, basically we, we randomly pair people up, um, like two people, uh, within the company, different departments. And then we do this on a, uh, every like two to three weeks. And those people just schedule like a 15 minute 
uh, Zoom call and just kind of a getting to know you type deal. Yeah, right. <clears throat> and so there's going to be like within your department, you're going to interact with a lot of those people a lot. But then, you know, the, the sales team may not be interacting a ton with, you know, the coaching team. And the coaching team may not be interacting a ton with the marketing team. And, you know, marketing team may not be interacting a ton with the operations team. So, but it's important for those people to know each other and know what yeah. their role is and know like how everybody fits into the equation. And so for you to do your one specific role, you need everybody else in the organization doing theirs. And so that's one thing that's been really helpful is just people connecting on a you know biweekly basis uh, with other people within the company. Again, just a 15 minute, just like, hey, tell me about yourself, getting to know you type stuff. Uh, another thing that we do is we do an um we don't do it on an annual basis, but we do every like eight to ten months or so. We'll do a company retreat and like an in person retreat. And so we did our first one a little over a year ago in Orlando. Um, we did one earlier this year in Austin. Uh, we just announced our next one. It's going to be in the Outer Banks. We rented this monster house of like thirty something bedrooms, and uh, and we'll like it's expensive. It's a big investment. Like we fly everybody in, we pay for everything, we bring in a private chef. Um, and so we would do a bunch of activities and uh, like we just have a ton of fun. So it's a big investment. But uh, I mean, I've heard multiple people who've said like, man, those, you know, those 72 hours that we get to hang out with our, our teammates, like it is so impactful. It is so um, meaningful and because it just, it solidifies these, uh, these virtual relationships where so much of the interactions that people have on a day-to-day basis is via Zoom and Slack. But then you spend a couple of days in person. It's just like, okay, man, I thought I really knew these people, but now I just spend a couple more a couple of days with them in person and it just deepens the relationships. So that's been a big, a big win as well. Um, uh, One other thing that we do is, uh, and this is, this is uh, something I I try to be really intentional on, but every quarter I do a one-on-one call with everybody in the company. So um, I started this several years ago and as the company has grown, I'm sure at some point it'll, it'll be, more and more difficult to pull off, but thus far we've been able to do it. And it's just like a quick, you know, 20 minute call or something with everybody in the company on a mm. one-on-one basis. And um, there, I have no preset questions or agenda or anything we got to hit on or cover or saw like professional development. It's just like, Hey, like, tell me about life. Like a lot of times we don't even talk about work. I'm just like, Hey, tell me about your family. Tell me what's going on. Um, you know, I could tell you something about anybody in the company and kind of like, you know, their family, what they're into, their interests and that sort of thing. Uh, and so I remember the, we had a guy who started a couple months ago and I had my first like one-on-one with him, you know, post orientation and, and, uh, several minutes into the call, I could tell him, I could tell like, he's still trying to feel out like, what am I in trouble? Like, what's this about? And, uh, and I was like, Hey, just so you know, like I do this with everybody in the company and like, we don't have anything I got to, you know, there's nothing I got to cover. I was like, I just want to, just want to chat. He's like, Oh, okay, cool. (laughs) He messaged me later. And he's like, I've I've worked a variety of companies. I've never like that's the most time I've ever spent with the CEO. Uh, and I, oh, I felt uh, like cool. you, you know, like you actually cared. And so, um, you know, we are at the time of this recording. There's a big hurricane that just hit Florida. You know, in the past yeah. week or two, and I've we've got multiple team members down in Florida, and I've been messaging with them. And what do you need? How can we help you? How can we support you and your families? And again, I think it just goes back to like just giving a damn about people like goes yeah. so far, and it just makes such a difference. And you know, it'd be easy just to kind of stick my head in the sand or just go up in some ivory tower. But if you're gonna if you're gonna build a business, like you really got to care about people, and and you got to really support people and, and believe in people. And so again, we're not uh, we're not perfect by any means, but we we uh, we're really intentional as a company to um to to really care about people. Yeah, and I, and I love all those examples you, you you shared. I think yeah, I, this is part of the reason I think why I get hired to speak a lot at at offsites or retreats is 
because something I'm a big believer in, which is, you know, proximity, it's about bringing people together. So yeah, if you're a fully distributed team, like you are bringing your team together at least once a year or so, so that they can get to know one another is really important. And, and, and to your point about, uh, you know, having these 20 minute kind of meet the, meet the CEO, like, Hey, let's hang out and talk. Um, it's almost, uh, it's a little more casual, but I'm a big believer also in something that I speak a lot about is, is what's called stay interviews where you mm-hmm. ask in those interviews, like the three questions that I usually focus on are what do you like least about working here? What do you like most about working here and what keeps you here? And then what might tempt you to leave? And, yeah. and, and by having those kind of casual conversations, you can start to gauge, you know, how they're feeling and, and ways that you can improve either your own work ethic or not ethic, but your own, you know, the, the, the style you manage and then also, you know, your own uh, feedback from the company itself. Yeah. And what one tool we use um, for that, that's been helpful. We've used for a couple of years is a tool called 15.5. Um, so the number 15.15 and then the word five, F-I-V-E. And basically what it is, is it's kind of a weekly check-in with everybody in the company. And so there's a few parts to it. Um, one is uh, but you know, like the big part of it is just kind of a one through five scale of how was your week? Like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And so everybody in the company fills that out on Friday. And then each of the directors get those reports just automatically sent to them. And then those directors are able to, to review that and just kind of get up. It's literally just a pulse check on how people are doing. Yeah. So there's that. There are... um you know, a couple of questions, what'd you get done this week? What are you working on next week? And then some like random type questions of, you know, um, uh, what's something you're excited about in the company or what's something that you're stuck on or having a challenge with that I might be able to help with? Um, is there anything that you are nervous about bringing up or asking me about? You know, it's just like, it's just some ice, icebreaker and just kind of like um, uh, conversation starters. And some of them are, you know, some of them are, hey, you should answer this. And some are just like super optional. But mm-hmm. it's also like, especially as a virtual company where you're not rubbing shoulders with people, you're you can't like see body language or demeanor on a day day in day out basis where if you're seeing someone in the office every day it's kind of like i don't know something just kind of feels off with them you know like you you don't you don't get that yeah. in a virtual environment That's so true. that pulse check is just on a again a weekly basis of just a chance for someone to just kind of say like hey just i'm uh, i'm just kind of having a crappy week you know and maybe it's personally or professionally or whatever uh or hey I, i've worked on something and it didn't go well at all or um, hey, I'm working on this one thing and I'm just, I feel really, really excited about it. It's going well, like awesome. Like they need a, uh, an outlet to, to share some of that stuff. And then, uh, as a leadership team, like we need, uh, we need to have a, a mechanism to be able to receive that and hear that and just kind of like check in on people. So we, we can also go back on a week by week and monthly and quarterly basis and look at, okay, what's the general pulse of the company, you know, on that one through five scale, like, is it going up? Is it going down? What's the trend doing? Um, and just try to get a feel for like, how, how are we doing? Like, how are people feeling? Um, yeah. we also a couple times a year, we'll do like an anonymous survey of, you know, what do you like? What do you not like? Where are we mm-hmm. doing well? And, um, you know, are you, do you think you, do you see yourself being here in a year? Do you think you'll leave? And just like getting some feedback and again, trying to just keep a pulse on people because we, we don't actually see people. Um, in an office. So you just, I think creating a virtual company can absolutely work. And there's a, you know, there's certainly pros and cons to it, but you just, you absolutely have to be really, really intentional on the, especially the culture piece. And you, you know, you kind of alluded to getting a gauge for, you know, where, where the industry is going and, you know, how things are evolving. And and obviously um, I imagine your business like mine, because I spent a lot of my time speaking, took a a little bit of a a hit during, uh, during COVID during sort of the, the pandemic where, you know, obviously everybody pivoted 
to uh, staring at webcams, uh, yep, <laughs> you know, yep. and, and hoping your jokes uh, don't bomb. Uh, uh, what trends are you seeing in the in the speaking business th- these days? Yeah, you're you're exactly right that you know prior to um, prior to the pandemic, like virtual speaking just wasn't really a thing, and you know most speakers weren't really doing it, most event planners weren't really booking virtual speakers and or virtual gigs, so it just wasn't uh, it just wasn't anything that anybody really took that seriously. Well, then you know the pandemic hits and all live events just obviously came to a, a screeching halt, and so you know there's a lot of speakers, Dave, you and I know, and probably yourself included, where like had a busy speaking calendars that all of a sudden just went evaporated, just gone, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think for me, I know I remember, especially, you know, March, April, uh, 2020, uh, was just, you know, it was super, uh, just intense, you know, of just kind of mm-hmm. like, well, crap, well, how's this going to play out, you know, and, and nobody's hiring speakers right now. So why would someone be, you know, investing in speaker training? Um, like that doesn't make any sense. And so what we saw though, is that, you know, everybody obviously quickly pivoted into to virtual speaking and what we have seen play out, what we kind of expected would happen. And, and this has been really cool is that, uh, as live events have come back, they have not come back in replacement of virtual events, but they've really come back in addition to virtual mm-hmm. events. And so what you're seeing is, you know, certainly live events have come back. There's nothing that's going to replace like getting together with people and hugs and handshakes and high fives, that sort of thing. Like that, that's still really, really effective and powerful. But you also have some uh, hybrid events where maybe um, there's going to be something where a, a speaker speaking live, but there's also like a, a virtual audience, maybe something where a speaker speaks live, but then they do some follow-up virtual you know, trainings or implementations, facilitations over the next couple of months. And so it allows the speaker to increase their impact, but also their income and maybe maybe be able to charge more. Uh, mm. But it's also created like virtual opportunities that didn't previously exist. So uh, an organization or group that maybe had never considered hiring a speaker or never brought in a speaker who would never consider putting on an event, uh, they it doesn't make sense for them to host some big event, but it may make sense for them to bring in a speaker and do a zoom or some type of virtual thing for, you know, a, a small internal thing or a small something for 50 or hundred people just using a zoom link or some, you know, virtual event software. Yeah, and so yeah. it's just created these opportunities that just didn't previously exist. And so as crazy as it sounds, I think the pandemic was one of the best possible things to happen to the speaking industry. Cause it's just, it's created all these opportunities that largely didn't previously exist. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I was doing a lot of webinars before the pandemic, uh, especially for, for one client who I do corporate training and facilitation for. Um, but beyond that, not a lot of, not a lot of webinars. And then, yeah. And then, as you said, like, as soon as the pandemic kind of shut everything down, um, yeah, many clients transition over to virtual. And I do find that now too. Yeah. Where a lot of it, it is nothing is better right now than speaking to audiences who have not come together in person, but doing it live in person again. And just Mm -hmm. the energy is so good because the audiences are so happy to finally be back together. And it's been really just great to, to witness and to be a part of that as well. And a big part of my presentations, I'm always trying to bring people together and, you know, wrote a little book about networking, Uh, (laughs) you know, so, so that's a big part of what, what I do as a, as a speaker as well. So just seeing that energy, I'll give, uh, I'll give you a tip too, for, uh, if, if, uh, I, I, so I, uh, you, I think, you know, my background in, in studying and performing improv comedy and, and studying with second city in Toronto and doing improv over the years, I just, uh, started doing stand up comedy for the first time. 
Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I did. I've done, I've done, I did six open mics in six weeks and I'm continuing. I just, I've had a bit of, I've hit a bit of a roadblock with the seventh, uh, only because I haven't randomly been selected, uh, <laughs> twice now. And I'm like, yeah. oh. um, but stand up is, is as terrifying as, as one would expect, ex- especially in sort of an open mic, uh, type scenario. Um, but in doing this, and this is completely new to me, um, in, in doing uh, stand up comedy, what I have found is I just delivered my first keynote re- uh, maybe a month ago after doing stand up comedy and the energy I felt because I, I had a room filled with people who had paid money to see me speak. And were so I had their undivided attention and they were into it. I felt like looser on the stage. I was kind of bouncing around more and I, I noted it. Yeah. I was like, whoa, like I'm way, I'm usually a pretty loose speaker and I'm a pretty funny speaker and, and all that. But after doing stand up, uh, when you're, when you're talking to like, when you're performing for a four minute set to people in the back of the room who are just talking and not listening to you, or there's like five people in front of you with their arms crossed, like, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, or people that are drunk or whatever, man, that is fun. It's a different deal. That's it uh, is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's, you know, that's definitely a, um, uh, and I know several speakers who, who you, who do, uh, who practice doing, you know, stand up comedy and sure, it's a way yeah. just to kind of like test material, but also just kind of build confidence. Cause there's, there's definitely a big difference between, you know, audience. I always say it's a difference between audiences that want to be there and audiences that have to be there and audiences that want to see you versus audience that want to see whatever. And so like in that case, um, you know, if you go speak at some corporate event, like uh, whether or not they're excited to see you, they're still going to be professional and polite. And whereas if you go to a comedy club, especially on like an open mic night on, you know, a Tuesday yeah. and you're the sixth, uh, sixth comedian who each gives their five minute bit and five of them suck. Uh, you're just like, boy, I just, I need these five <laughs> minutes to work. Uh, and you're also just, you know, when you're, uh, when, when you're creating a talk, when you're creating a joke, when you're creating a bit, you're making an educated guess. Like, I think this is funny. I think this will resonate. I think this will make sense. I think this people will buy this premise, but like, you don't yeah. know until you get up on stage. And that's, you know, a big part, especially comedy is you're workshopping stuff. You're trying stuff and you're like, okay, I tried this. That didn't work. Or actually that worked, but I think actually this punchline would be even better. Better. Here's a way to punch yeah. it up. Or here's a callback to something I referenced earlier. And like, it's just, it, you're, you're kind of, you're make, you're making an educated guess and then making adjustments based on the audience reaction. Yeah. And having spoken, you know, starting my career speaking at a lot of unconferences and things, I would always do a new presentation every time and I would do it once. And I realized over time, you know, just as comedians, as you're saying, like test material, they test bits over and over again with different, different variations to see what works best. And that's what so many comedians do at open mics. Um, they're just really testing things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, same same goes with public speaking, where you know I find having one to th- three keynotes, which is what I have, um, and doing those a million times so that they get better and better and better, and you know where the jokes are, and you know where the audience will have fun, um, and and obviously those key takeaways that they can they can apply to their businesses. Um, yeah, it's it's gold that way. And I, I remember learning this too, uh, seeing Guy Kawasaki speak a million years ago at a conference. And he came up on stage and he said, So which presentation do you guys want? This one or that one? Yeah. And the and the audience like put the you know voted with their hands and he's like, Okay, hang on. And he fired up the keynote presentation and 
and he killed it. Off and, he went. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of like you know going to see a band. You only want you want to see the 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 hits. You want to see you want to hear the music you know, not the not the new stuff. So and yeah. Seinfeld has a whole thing about this too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's it's an important note for speakers at any level because i think especially especially newer speakers they feel like every talk has to be new and everything's yeah. got to be this some original idea and it's like that that's not the case and like i like to use the analogy of like going to a restaurant you know if you if you go to a steakhouse like i don't know that i want the experimental dish for that night i, I want like no this what's the signature thing the thing that you've made thousands of times and you've perfected yeah. and it's so stinking good like that's the thing that you want and so um Whereas like, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, an open mic night, open mic night for a, a comedy show, you know, like they're, they're going to be workshopping material versus if you go to some, um, you know, arena or auditorium or theater and you're seeing a, a touring comic, like they've worked out that stuff. And so it's going to be a lot yeah. more polished and dialed in. And so like, as long as you know what you're, you're getting, but especially for, for speakers, like don't be, don't feel like you got to like create stuff from scratch all the time, but, but, you know, take some of the best stuff and continue to, to build on that. All right. Yeah, that's great. So let's move to the lightning round very quickly because I know you've got a hard stop here. So complete this sentence. Nice guys and gals finish. First. I mean, absolutely. I I, I mean, I think that um, there's definitely this misconception that, you know, you got to like bully people or you got to be difficult to people when um, when I was um, when I was a youth pastor that one of the guys I worked for was just he was just a uh, frankly, just a jerk. Um, and it had such a negative influence on me and impact. I mean, it's just kind of this command and conquer type of leadership style. And it just, right. boy, just, I hated it. And I just felt miserable. And, um, versus like now I, I think you can be like kind and caring and compassionate to people. And again, just like give a crap about people. And that just, that goes so much further, not just professionally, but personally, just like in life. So what's a nice book you recommend to the nice makers listening? And it can't be the successful speaker, even though I was talked about in that book. And thank you again for including me. That was really a, a beautiful surprise. Perfect. Well, I'd definitely go check out that one then, the successful speaker. Um, uh, let's see. Nice book. Um, you know, one of my favorite books, especially as it relates to um, work and some of what we've been talking about here and kind of culture is the book Rework by... Um, uh, Jason Freed and, and David, uh, Hannemeyer Hansen, I believe. Um, yeah. and they're, they're the guys that run, um, the SAS company Basecamp, and yeah. they, they just, they, they're a virtual company as well. And they run the business in just kind of unconventional ways. And so, uh, I, there's a lot of things in there that I resonate with that makes sense. And so, um, that's definitely a good, a good book I recommend. Was the experiment and they did some big thing a number of years ago now where, what did oh they 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 started a rule that you could not talk about i believe it was like religion politics they had like a rule like several different things topics that you were not allowed to talk about at all at work uh do you recall this yeah i mean they they got they had some uh the pr mess on on some of that stuff uh, i think some of what they were trying to do was valid you know i like yeah. as especially if you look back at the pandemic um and a lot of the, I don't know, kind of social justice stuff that was kind of popping up. And, um, uh, I remember having some, you know, internal team members and even just, you know, external people were like, you know, should we say something? Do we not say something? And then I remember just kind of thinking like, you know, we're, we're a speaker trading company. That doesn't mean that we have to have an opinion on every, you know, political or environmental or social issue that exists. You know, there may make 
there may be some things that it makes sense for us to speak up on and other things that it doesn't make sense. So we don't, we don't have to say this is, you know, this is the political affiliation of, you know, of me or whoever, or this is the, you know, social justice causes that we care about or right. whatever, like uh, within our company, we're a diverse company. You know, we have, uh, we have straight people, we have gay people, we have people of different colors and different religions and different nationalities and different backgrounds. And like, we're kind of a diverse group of, of people. So um, for us as a collective company to say, you know, Hey, these are all the things that, you know, we should uh, um, that you have to believe, or you have to look like us or think like yeah, us yeah. Um, like that. Uh, just it doesn't, doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't poo-pooing them, by the way, that is a great book. I was just, I would I do remember that, but back to your point about, the, about them. And, and the reason why that book is so great is because they, they do sort of cross the, across the line is it sounds negative, but they do experiment so much with different things that are very unusual um, that, that that's how true innovation comes. And so, yeah, I mean, you may ruffle some feathers along the way and I know they did at, at that moment, but you know, whatever. All right. How is Grant nice to himself? How is Grant nice to himself? I, um, I feel like I, I tend to have a pretty solid self-esteem. I feel like I'm, I'm a fairly self-aware guy and recognize, you know, things that I'm good at and also, you know, flaws and shortcomings. Um, and I, I, I want to believe I'm a pretty nice guy to, to people in general of, of, um, all different, you know, backgrounds and whatever it may be. Mm. Um, and so I think that, um, I, I think I, I try to just have a, a pretty level head, you know, just in general in life like that, you know, the highs aren't too high, the lows aren't too low, but stay pretty even, even keeled. And, um, you know, one thing we touched on earlier is that idea that who you are is more important than what you do. And so, um, you know, my, my work is important to me and what we're doing and the impact that we're hoping to make uh, in the speaking industry and with speakers. But, um, you know, my, uh, my most important roles are being a good husband, being a good father. And so those are the things I really try to spend my energy and efforts uh, focusing a lot on. Yeah, that's great. What do you do on a down day? Besides reading your book that your wife just got you? Yeah, um, you know, thankfully, I don't feel like I have too many down days, and I also, like I said, I don't feel like I have any like massive high days. You know, again, I think I feel pretty evenly keeled, and um, some days are awesome, and some days are less than awesome. Like that's just, I don't know, that's just life. You know, like uh, I was telling someone on our team uh, recently, we had a we had a huge, we had a record breaking month, and then we had a kind of a sluggish month. It's still a really solid month, but it's just kind of a sluggish month and kind of a grind. It's like that's just that's business. Like that's life. Like sometimes things are clicking and things are working, and sometimes things are not. And so um, again, I, I try to just keep stay pretty level headed, pretty even keeled. That you know, don't let the highs be too high, don't let the lows be too low, and tomorrow's a new day. Mm. If you had a billboard, what would it say? Maybe you just said it. Yeah, I think that I, I think that idea that um, who you are is more important than what you do. Um, yeah. You know, it's just it's it's easy to be distracted by, uh, you know, climbing some proverbial ladder, whatever that may be, whether that's you know recognition or success or fame or or money or status or possessions or whatever it may be. But you know, at the end of the day, like who we are as, as human beings and the you know the family, the friends, the the loved ones in our lives, like that, that's the stuff that ultimately you know is is the stuff that really matters. Grant, thanks so much for for joining me today. How can folks get a hold of you? Yeah, everything we do is over at thespeakerlab.com, thespeakerlab.com. If you listen to this podcast, you probably listen to other podcasts. We have a a podcast by the same name, The Speaker Lab Podcast. Uh, Dave, you mentioned the the book, The Successful Speaker, um, which we touched on a a time or two here. So uh, five steps for booking gigs, getting paid, building your platform. And it's just kind of the framework that we teach speakers on 
ins and outs of the speaking industry. So um, yeah, a lot of uh, resources. In fact, you can get a free copy of the uh, the book. Um, just pay a couple bucks for shipping and you can go to thespeakerlab.com and, and find a link there to, to get that book sent to you. All right. Yeah, everybody, you should definitely uh, visit that and I'll include links to everything. And uh, I'd love to join you on the podcast sometime. Cool, I'm in the book for crying out loud. You are in the book and you're a celebrity already. <laughs> Grant, this has been awesome. Thanks so much, man. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show today. Would you do me a favor? Leave a review. The reviews help others discover the show and they mean a lot to me. So I would appreciate that. Did you know I am often hired as a keynote speaker for company retreats or for conferences? To find out more about that, you can visit DaveDelaneySpeaks.com. Music by Alistair Crystal at AlistairCrystal.ca. We'll see you next time. And be nice. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe.